Thank you, Stan and worship team, for leading us in the songs and praise of the perfect wisdom of our God and his sovereignty and our saving us and being our Savior and Lord and our God. Well, it's good to be back with all of you. It's good to be back in this pulpit, in this church. It's uh, missed many of you and that uh, come to know over the years. It's just uh, really, uh, I miss just the, the kind of the life of the Sunday worship that we go through here. You know, you visit many churches. We had a chance to visit about four different churches over the past three months. And, and just kind of going to each church, and obviously the people there were believers in Jesus Christ, and I was encouraged to worship with them and heard good sermons, encouraged. But still, yeah, um, in... In, even as I worshiped with them, some of them, you know, had just amazing worship bands and all those things. But there was something about just the 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 rhythm and the 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 light, the buzz, kind of of this church that I just miss. I just really, it's like I miss being with my family. And I was just glad to be back with you, especially we began last week, uh, back again with you this week, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get back into the just this, the uh, the the routine of, of preaching the word regularly with you. Uh, if you don't know who I am. Oh, thanks. So praise the Lord. Thanks, Raymond. <laughs> uh, my name's Henry. I'm your pastor, okay? <laughs> uh, at least I'm one of your pastors here at the church. I really want to just express my appreciation not only for the church family as a whole, but especially the elders of this church and uh, our two young pastors, Pastor Ray, Pastor Roger, as they enabled me to uh, take the sabbatical. So I'm thankful uh, for the time that uh, I had to just rest and to spend with family. Now, many of you have probably wondered uh, what we did, and, um, and uh, well, over the next three weeks, the sermons that I'm going to preach are kind of the, the thoughts that came to me through the things that I did and uh, the things that I uh, experienced, and I just hope that they may be an encouragement to you. The truths that God brought to my mind, may they be an encouragement to you. We'll be studying a bunch of wisdom literature over the next uh, three weeks. So starting Proverbs today, we'll launch from Proverbs, we'll go to Ecclesiastes next week, and then we'll end in Psalms. And those are three things, and hopefully be, you'll find practical wisdom from God that encourages us. So uh, let's look to the scriptures this morning. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 to 23. And this is a, um, a simply a mother, it is a Mother's Day message, kind of message, but I think it'll be an encouragement to all of us as a church body uh, as we recognize that mothers are truly God's gift to us. All right. Proverbs 6, verse 20 to 23. God, through his uh, servant, King Solomon, writes these words. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this morning that we can worship you, and we give you praise and thanks on this particular day, on this Mother's Day, for the mothers that you place in our lives. But we thank you that not just for our mothers, but we thank you for motherhood, for it is your idea. It's your institution for mankind. It's your purpose and calling through whom these many mothers that you place in our lives to be a blessing upon mankind, but to be a blessing to us and in this church. Lord, we are grateful that what we can learn from our moms, and we recognize that uh, ultimately what we learn from them is what you intend to teach us. We pray that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word now. Fill us with your spirit 
and draw us closer to you and give us greater love and appreciation uh, for you and for those whom you place into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, during my sabbatical, my three months, I had the opportunity to do several things. But if I could summarize what I did, I spent my time basically doing three things, primarily three things. Uh, number one, I had the opportunity to spend time with family. And that's what I did. I spent time with, as many of you know, I married, I have three young children, uh, all under the age of uh, uh, four. And so it, it was just a great privilege. If you're a dad of young children, you, you know, it's... It's really frustrating, I think, because you have to go to work. You know, you got to work and you got to provide. And so unless you're a teacher who gets the summer months off, you, you will never get three months, three just extended months to spend with your children. And, I, and that was the privilege I had. Can you imagine getting three months to play with my kids, to be with them, to just do all the normal things that little kids love to do? And, and also during that time, I got to spend with my wife and just observe uh, my wife during that time and my children. It was just a good time. Uh, secondly, I spent some time, uh, I guess, a lot of my time doing uh, a kitchen remodeling. Uh, not that I want, we thought about hiring somebody, but instead I thought, you know how expensive kitchen remodeling is? I decided to do it myself. So I just started doing it myself, uh, just hammering away. I don't know anything about remodeling, just, but it was fun. I just, YouTube is great. Just watch YouTube. That's, it's easy if you have the time and you have the energy. And uh, just a lot of lessons learned there. From I just learned to really love Anything that would cut through wood, hammer wood, just, I just like carpentry. I just felt like Jesus, you know. I was like, this is what Jesus must have felt through when he was cutting wood, doing, making things out of wood. It's like, this is awesome. I love it. Of course, there was a lot of lessons there that we'll look at Ecclesiastes next week, uh, and we'll learn about that. And then thirdly, I just learned uh, from, uh, we took some road trips, a lot of traveling, a lot of traveling that I did. Uh, well, not a lot, but two road trips. And I just love driving. So I just, we drove it to Seattle, and we drove to L.A. And that was fun. Just some thoughts there. Uh, there was a, we'll kind of uh, get to maybe share some of that and things that I thought about as I drove or things that happened while we drove. Anyways, I uh, got to visit some churches, too. Heard some great sermons. It's, it's, every sermon is a great sermon when you don't have to deliver it. You know, just kind of listening there. Like, oh, that's great. That's a good point. Amen. Uh, it's just wonderful. So I expect you to all say amen. That's a good point because you're not up here having to say it. Okay. Uh, and uh, so these three weeks, I just want to share with you the lessons God has pressed upon me during my sabbatical. And uh, this morning, I want to share with you uh, lessons that I've learned from motherhood, and obviously I'm not a mom, but I, I got a chance to observe a mom up close for the next for the last uh, three months, uh, and I've grown in a greater appreciation of her over these last three months, and uh, um, uh, so watching my wife take care of our three children, and there was those occasional opportunities where she would just, yeah, you know, go and do something else, and I have to watch three kids for like an hour, and like, oh, you know, I'm just thankful that she comes back. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, I've definitely grown my great appreciation for the role of moms who do this day in, day out, especially uh, stay-at-home moms, homemaker, homemakers. Uh, you know, but really, I, what I draw, came away is just not just appreciating my, my wife so much, but appreciating God, who is the author of motherhood. God instituted motherhood. God, motherhood is God's idea, and motherhood is God's blessing upon mankind. The calling to be a mom is a calling to be an instrument of God for his glory. What moms teach us throughout life is worth far more 
than any advanced degree you can receive from a higher institutional learning. There's really no way to measure the value of a mother, her influence, her teaching upon our life, because she influences us from our conception to our adulthood, and she influences us across so many areas of knowledge. This morning, I simply want to share with you three general lessons that everyone can learn from mothers, whether our own mothers or just the mothers that God has placed in our lives that we come to know. Three lifelong lessons everyone can learn from mothers. And I hope that it will cause you to praise God for the mom that he has placed in your life. But I hope also if you're here and you're a mother, and I look around this room, there are many of you out here, I thank God for you, but that it maybe encourage you because, uh, well, the calling of a mother is a high calling, but any high calling is a hard and difficult calling. And uh, if you're discouraged, ever get discouraged that, uh, this, the word of God may encourage you in some way. And if I discourage you, then I apologize. But be encouraged by God's word. You know, we're going to launch today from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 and 23. Let's take a look then at what mothers teach us. Three things that mothers teach us. First of all, according to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 and 23, mothers teach us truth. Moms, one of your great callings is to teach us truth, the truth of God's word. We, all the, the songs that we just sung, I was thinking about many of the things that we heard in these songs, the truths that we sing are truths that if we have Christian moms, were truths that we heard from them first. They're probably the first one to teach it to us. Now, when we look at this book of Proverbs, Proverbs is the book of wisdom, which King Solomon addresses his son with uh, words of wisdom for living righteously before God. We often read this with that book in mind. We think, oh, this is a father's word to a son. And it is that. However, if we look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, as well as chapter 6, verse 20, we'll look in a few minutes, we find out, we're reminded that Solomon, that the words that Solomon reminds his son are instructions that are taught not just by Solomon, the father, but they're instructions, they're teachings that are also taught to the son by his mother. Look at Proverbs 1, 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. You see, we learn biblical instruction from both our fathers and mothers. Sometimes, complementarian churches like ours that believe that there is a God has different roles for the father and mother, husband and wife, that the husband is to be the spiritual head of the home, to be the spiritual leader, we end up tending to think that, well, it's the dad's primary responsibility to teach doctrine to our children. And so we we end up saying, well, it's your job to do that. But that is not true. Both dads and moms teach biblical truths. Both have an obligation to teach the spiritual truths of God to their children. But I would further add that we probably learn more of our doctrine, initially at least, from our mothers than our fathers because we spend the most time with, we tend to spend the most time with our moms in our early years and throughout most of our life. Just this past week, Cindy and some of the other moms here, you guys had a chance to go to the zoo and uh, as they went to the zoo, they obviously saw many different animals. Afterwards in the evening, I was kind of just over, you know, in a different room. I was listening kind of Cindy talking with Kiara in the room next door. And so they were just kind of reflecting, trying to remember all the animals that they saw. And, uh, and, I, and, I don't, and I think she either asked the question, but I don't remember exactly how it went. But I know that and she asked her, or like, who created all these animals? And I don't think I heard the Kiara's answer. But I just remember Cindy saying... God made all those animals. 
Yeah, that's a simple truth, and I hopefully you all believe that, that God is the creator of all things. But I just was so encouraged because sitting there was teaching a foundational truth to our daughter and to our sons as well down the road, that there is a creator in this world, that there is such a person as a maker who made all the animals, who made all things, and who made all of us. I've heard Cindy teach Kiara and our boys on different occasions about Jesus, about forgiveness, about kindness, about obedience, about prayer, and many other doctrines in the scriptures. And I know Cindy's not unique. Many of you moms out there do the same thing for your children or have done that for your children. All Christian moms are called to teach truth to their children. And here in Proverbs chapter 6, 20, we learn about this teaching of truth to the children. And I know it can apply to dads, and maybe I'll just preach the same passage for Father's Day. But uh, we learn here, first of all, that mothers teach truths to the children that are truths to keep. Truths to keep, verse 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Here we find that familiar parallel structure as we're going to look at wisdom books, that these two parallel phrases will often either be synonymous or they'll be contrasting. Here they are synonymous. The, the command or instruction to observe and the instruction to not forsake are basically a positive and negative way, respectively, of giving the same command to essentially guard and not lose something. To consider something as valuable so that you would protect it, keep it, so you don't just leave it behind. You see, the truths that moms and dads teach us are to be guarded like a treasure. They're not just to be things that we say, oh, yeah, 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 and then kind of in one ear, out the other. When they, parents take time to teach us truths, they're meant to be kept, not to be abandoned, not to be forsaken. Now, if one is wondering particularly what kind of instruction moms and dads are to teach us, Psalm here is thinking of biblical truths, not just your ABCs or one, two, threes or the different colors that exist in the world. But for the, here when he uses the word commandment, it's the, and the word teaching, particularly the word teaching of mother, that word teaching is the word Hebrew word Torah. You don't have to know Hebrew, but Torah is just one of those words. Even in the English language, we know what that is. The Torah is reference to the law, the Mosaic law. And so the moms were to teach the law. Now, sometimes the word Torah just can refer to generally instruction or to the Mosaic law specifically. But when we recall passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, the great Shema, when, when God, uh, through Moses, instructing the people of Israel, he tells them to, in chapter 6, verse 7, to teach the law diligently to their children. That is to teach God's commands to them. That is what Solomon has in mind. He knows that moms and dads have this obligation by God to teach biblical truths to their children. And faithful moms teach us the treasure of God's truth that we might keep it. What's more, not only these truths are, are to be kept and not lost, not forsaken, but they're truths to be remembered. They're truths to be internalized in our lives. They're not just meant to be head knowledge. They're meant to be heart knowledge. Verse 21, Solomon continues, bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. <laughs> these words speak for themselves. They're already a picture in themselves. You don't even have to go to the cultural background, but they're a great picture. These words, again, recall uh, the Deuteronomy 6 passage, in particular chapter 6, verse 6, where God says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. 
Now, in our day, what controls our body, what controls our everything is our, is our mind, our brain. We think of our mind, our brain. In Western American thought, that's what we think of as being controlling everything. But in biblical thought, that role went to the heart. The word heart would refer to the central, central place of one's thoughts, one's feelings, and one's decisions. So when they are to be bound around your heart, it is to be kept in that central place that controls everything we think, feel, and decide to do. The neck here is used figuratively often of that which one is led by, particularly when associated with a yoke that we place around a, a beast of burden so that they will be guided them. And that's why, so when the Israelites refused to follow God's command, what would he say? You are a stiff-necked people because they would not follow the yoke and the leading of God. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine of the same idea, when he says, take my yoke upon you, it means put it around your neck. Put my teaching around your neck and learn from me. See, mothers teach us truths not just for head knowledge, but to be internalized deep in our hearts. They're to be bound in our hearts. They're to be tied around our necks so that they would guide us. They would be a very, a very critical part of our lives. That we would not lose them. Now, why is this so important? Because mothers don't just teach us useless information. You know, moms can say a lot of interesting things. They might tell us, hey, there's a Macy's sale this next week. Or they might say, oh, Jamba Juice has $2 off. Make sure you go get that. You know, and they tell us all sorts of things like, oh, this is how you tie your tie and, and things like that are semi-useful for life. But the most important things that they teach us are truths from God's word, truths from God's word that are truths for every circumstance. And we see this in verse 22. See, when you walk about, Solomon says, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. With three parallel phrases, Solomon refers basically to all aspects of life. When you walk, when you sleep, when you awake. You also may notice, if some of you have a footnotes in your Bible, that it says literally, she will guide you. She will watch over you and she will talk to you. And that's not a reference to moms per se, but it's to the, word, to the instruction of moms, the instructions of fathers. It's, refers, it's the closest... Uh, References back to the Hebrew word for Torah, teaching, which is a feminine singular word. That matches, that is the law. It's the commandment as well, as well the mitzvah. It's the commandment and the teaching that moms and dads teach us, particularly our focus on moms, that will guide you. They will provide direction. They will watch over you. They will provide protection. They will talk to you. They will give you instruction or counsel for every circumstance in life. Yesterday, I asked Kiara, or actually, it was two days ago, I asked Kiara uh, what she learns uh, from mom, because I was just thinking, oh, I wonder what she would say. And so, uh, Cindy was gone, so she didn't hear this, but I said, oh, what, what does mom teach you? And you know what my daughter said? Uh, she could have said many funny things, but she says, mom teaches me right and wrong. I said, well, pretty good. <laughs> uh, I'm impressed. Uh, so, it's, it's cool, because I realized that's what Cindy does. Cindy teaches Kiara truths about what is right and wrong. And Cindy's not going to teach her right and wrong according to her opinion, but according to God's word. And for Kiara, as she grows up, the, the right and wrong that her mother teaches her will hopefully set the direction of her life as she will choose to pursue that which is right. Even when I and Cindy are far gone from her life, far removed, that those things will guide her just as much as... Uh, uh, as uh, God would, as God, as if we were there with her, instructing her. It will protect her from 
the wrong response to the many worries and anxieties that are going to, she's going to face in life. It will instruct her with a worldview that will learn to reject what the world says about the world or what the world says about truth. It will teach her about her, giving her worldview that teaches her about her role in this world, not just as a, a random thing, but as a servant of the Lord called and placed upon this world for this time to be an instrument of his for his glory because she'll learn what is right and what's wrong. Now, far more important than all these things, it's not only that a mother teaches truths for every circumstance, but she, a mother teaches truths that lead to life. And this is the most important truth that a mom can teach her children. Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and a teaching is a light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. God's word here is a source of light, right? It's a a light that illuminates in the darkness. In this world of sin, of corruption, of evil, God's word, the commandments, the the teachings, the Torah is a light. It shines it. And so when your parents and your moms teach you it, it shines light into your world. It shows you, it, it serves to reprove you when you're sinning. It shows you where you fall short of God's command. It admonishes and sets you on the right path. God's word that your mom teaches you is useful for teaching you, reproving you, correcting you, and training you for righteousness. It's meant to discipline you so you would grow up to be a child of God. A mother's instruction, when kept and remembered, will serve to discipline us, to train us to head a certain way. And it's not just the way that, you're only, that is what your mom wants, though it probably is, but it's the way that God wants. It's the way of life that hopefully your mom is teaching you in the gospel truths that lead you to eternal and abundant life. Moms, your greatest instruction that you have for your children among the thousands of things that you teach them in life will be the gospel. To teach about God's holiness and their sinfulness. To teach about their helplessness and God's love. To teach about God's son their Savior and Lord, and his death and resurrection, to teach them about the necessity of repentance and faith in Christ, in Christ alone. I know when, when we have children as they start to grow, there are countless things you're worrying about. We're in that stage where we're starting to think about schooling, you know? Wow, you know, what do I want our children to learn? And you start thinking about getting them in, getting a good kind of preschool program, getting them, hey, hopefully get at a, a good neighborhood, go to a good neighborhood school or something, or, you know, and ultimately then to maybe finally get a good job and get, get, go to a good school, get a good job, get a degree, et cetera, all those things. But I heard something on the radio that just resonated with my heart, and I hope it resonates with some of us young parents who are thinking about our education already. We're, we're saving for their education because it's super expensive, but... Where are we concerned about, what are we more concerned about teaching our children? And what I heard on the radio was this question. Are we more concerned about our child going to Harvard than to heaven? I used to think that, oh, yeah, obviously they all want them to go to heaven. But as they are growing up, there's the reality of, like, I want to teach my child to be a responsible person who will study hard, who will get a good degree, and somehow in some way have a means, a job, a career profession by which they might provide for themselves. And... Sometimes, and though we ought to give thought to their education, their training, we ought to also not forget that the greatest thing, the greatest place that they need to go to when all is said and done is that they're on the way 
of life to heaven, not on their way to Harvard. Faithful mothers will teach truths that lead to this eternal abundant life. Mothers, teach, teach your children truth as you do and te- teach them such truths. Well, the second and third p- points are basically the truths that moms teach us lived out. Lived out in their own lives, but lived out in our lives as well. And I think this, uh, the second point is that perhaps the most important thing that moms teach us, the one that we most visually, visibly see throughout our lives, and that is that mothers vi- teach us love. They teach us love. And we find this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 78. We're going to go to two other pa- uh, uh, this passage and another in our morning. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 78. And I've preached on this before, but I feel like it's an appropriate passage to look at once again. Mothers teach us about love. And first of all, they, they teach us a love here in verse 7, a love that is, is gentle. A love that is gentle. Verse 7, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. The Apostle Paul is writing these words. He's writing it to the church in Thessalonica. And he's making a kind of sort of a, a defense of his ministry to them. He's describing how he, when he came to preach the gospel to them, he didn't come basically just throwing his weight around. He didn't come to seek his own glory or even glory from men. Even though he is an apostle of Christ, he, he had all sorts of authority. And if anyone has a right to throw their authority around, it was an apostle of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul. But he didn't. He didn't demand their attention. He didn't draw attention to himself. Paul instead proved to be, as he writes here, to be gentle among you. He was gentle among us. He didn't... Uh, beat them on the head, though, you know, sometimes that may be called for, but here he did not. And here is this idea of gentleness. He proved to be gentle among the Thessalonians. The idea of gentleness is that of being kind. It's being kind in one's interactions with another. To be kind is not to be not quarrelsome. It's not to be, when, when basically preaching the gospel, it's not to be demeaning or putting down, but rather teaching with great gentleness, with great patience, with understanding that the person you're teaching, especially if they're lost, is dead in their sins. And there's no way in this world they're going to grasp what you say. In fact, they're going to just reject what you say. It, would, it should surprise us when they don't reject it because it is God's work. But we need to be gentle and understanding because they are dead in their sins. But Paul illustrates his point by noting how mothers exemplify this kind of gentleness. Paul uses this specifically, the example of a nursing mother. All moms teach us gentle love, but a nursing mom perhaps is a great example of nursing mom, of a gentle mom, love. When a baby is first born, the baby enters this world completely helpless, doesn't uh, she? Unable to fend for herself, unable to change herself, unable to do anything for herself. But her mother is there to care for her, to feed her, provide for her, to comfort her, and give her all that is needed. This verb tenderly cares in this text literally means, it's, it's a word that literally means to keep warm. It was a picture of a, of a mother bird that would sit on an egg to keep it warm, to, so to, to cherish and nourish that, that egg. The word figuratively then came to mean to comfort, to cherish, to lovingly protect and care for someone. And in every way, a nursing mother tenderly cherishes her child by keeping the infant warm when she comes to the world, by comforting the, ch- the infant, and by lovingly protecting and caring for that child. 
the gentle love that we all experience from our mothers provides the model for ministering the gospel to the lost. There is no more appropriate picture of the gentleness that Christians are to display in ministry than that of a nursing mother caring for her child. That's, that's what Paul says here. It's like a nursing mom. And when we share the gospel, we can think of, I mean, you may never think about it, but it'll, it'll, make you, it'll check you sometimes when you start hearing someone and they start t- get saying some crazy things. You just want to, like, respond with, you know, you know well, uh, harshness. Remember a nursing mom. Do we treat them with gentleness? Do we treat them as a nursing mother treats her child? As we go about this gospel ministry, let's remember that what our mothers teach us about gentleness, this gentle love that, is, that Paul would demonstrate among the Thessalonians when he preached the gospel to them. That's what our moms teach us. They not only teach us love that's gentle, but they also teach us love that is sacrificial. In verse 8, we read by Paul, this is really, verse 8 is a continuation of verse 7 in the original Greek. It's not a new sentence. But it's in our English, it's a new sentence. But it's just it's a continuation of this idea of a motherhood, really. The terms are all motherhood terms. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Paul explains here how much he loved the Thessalonians. In fact, he, he does it by bookending this verse with two phrases of love, two expressions of love. First, he begins with saying, having so fond an affection for you. This verb pictures the loving desire that a mother has for, for, for her child. And then he ends the verse with another expression of love. Because you had become very dear to us. That is, you had become beloved to us. This is, this is often uh, used as a, to describe the close relation that a, a father or a mother have with their children. And so in between this expression, this love that he expresses is how he demonstrated that love in the middle of the verse. How did Paul demonstrate his love for the Thessalonians? He says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Now, Paul, he's the minister of the gospel, and he's responsible to do what? To give them the gospel. His Paul, that's his calling. But he says, I didn't just give you the gospel. I gave you my life as well. See, love demonstrates itself in a desire to give and to share of ourselves It's not just to give what's needed only, but to give of all of us. It's completely normal to give to those we love. There's no greater example of this, of course, than God himself, isn't there? We are all familiar with John 3, 16, for how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave, not just something that he created, just give us a tree or give us a a bird or give us some bread. He gave us of himself. He gave us of the Trinity, the triune being, the divine being. He gave us and sent us his son, his perfect sinless son who would take on the form of humanity, who would come, and he didn't just give his son to come and live. He gave his son to come and die in place of us. God shows his love for the world by sacrificially giving his son to die for our sins. <clears throat> and so Paul's love for the Thessalonians leads him to give them not only the gospel, which by itself is the, is the great treasure, but Paul also gave his own life. 
Paul risked his life to share the gospel with the Thessalonians. He, shared, he, he often worked with his own hands so that he would not have to depend upon their provision, but instead he could just freely give to them. See, love motivates us to share the gospel with others and to share our lives with them. And this sacrificial love is exemplified in mom, by moms. See, mothers teach us this kind of love throughout our lives. Everything about a mom is sacrificial love. Everything about a mom is the giving of herself to her child. It begins from the early parts of her days. Not only do they give us life, but they give us milk for to nourish us. But throughout their days, they give of their, they give of their lives. They give their body. They will give their next 18 years to care for that child through all the trials and that we experience throughout life. Mom's example teaches us sacrificial love, but they teach us this sacrificial love that is important for the sharing of the gospel with those in our world and the sharing of our lives out of love for others. Moms, they teach us love. They teach us truth. Thirdly, mothers teach us godliness. Of all the truths that they teach us, and one of them, that, of many truths they teach, they, moms will show us not only that they teach us truth, but they live out truths. And they live out truths by showing, demonstrating their godliness through their good works. And the passage I want us to turn to is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 to 15. Look at me there, with me there. This should be a familiar passage to many of us. I've, I've preached it before. The verse I'm going to end at and I focus on is going to be verse 15, okay? But you just, I have to give you the context of the full context just to give us the, show us the pattern of this text. When we hear this passage, 1 Timothy 2, 9 to 15, I think all of us will immediately think of, oh, that's the passage that forbids women to teach over men in the church body, right? Did you think that? Okay, no? You said, well, Okay, did you even know this passage? Okay, well, anyways, it doesn't matter. But this is that passage, okay? It's, oh, that's that one. I forbid women to teach and exercise authority over men. I was like, oh, that's that passage. And, and certainly, the text definitely does speak to that matter. But this text is not primarily about what a woman cannot do in the church. This text is primarily about a woman's conduct in the church. Her conduct is to be characterized by good works that reflect godliness. Let me walk you through this text and see if we can get a, see the pattern that's taught here. In verses 9 to 10, look at those, we'll read those two verses. Paul says, likewise, I want, a woman, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. The likewise here immediately tells us it refers back to verse 8, where Paul begins with the men. He exhorts the men, how do they ought to conduct themselves in the church? And how should the men conduct themselves in the church? And when they pray, they ought to offer prayer. And it really, as I thought about it more, it's really not just to pray. Pray is just what they do when they come to worship God in the service. That's just another word for the worship. They are to lead in prayer. Not every man is to lead in prayer. But what's important there is the character of the men as they pray. That they are to pray with lifted hands, with holy hands. And it's not talking about really the posture of prayer, but the, that they are lifting the, their prayers up, offering their worship to God with holiness. That they're known for holiness. They're not known for wrath. They're not bringing people dissensive, divisive people in the church. 
They are holy, peacemaking, gentle men in the church who worship God. Now, likewise, in verse 9 to 10, Paul exhorts the woman to a similar godliness. To stand out, first of all, against it, to, if they are going to stand out in a church, they're going to conduct themselves in a church, stand out not by the clothes one wears, but by the work one does, by the works one does. She is to be known for her good works. Now, of course, I would add that it's not that good clothes are bad. It doesn't mean you got to stop shopping in Macy's or Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus or wherever those high fashion places you shop at. Good clothes are not bad, but rather good works are better. Clothes in no way or shape or form reflect your inner character. This suit does not show you how holy I am. I hope it it doesn't. I don't got to wear a white one. He's like some prosperity preachers might do. You know, white suit, you know, like I'm holy. Clothes don't show what's on the heart, but the good works that we do reveal and reflect much more what is in our hearts, the godliness there. And so Paul exhorts the mothers, the women in the church, the godliness through good works. And when in verse 11 to 14, Paul goes into the importance then of the godliness that is reflected through submissive learning, having a submissive spirit, a gentle, quiet spirit. He talks about what they, that they are to learn in the church and I've covered this passage in the past, so I won't go into detail because it, it, it deserves further detail. This sermon is online, I believe. It's not been preached not too long, maybe two, three years ago. It should be there. And as, but what's important here as he teaches about their necessity and encourages the woman to, to have a spirit of submissive learning is that the command for them is grounded to do so not in culture but in creation, and so this is a, a permanent uh, role that God has for the women in the church. But and so we arrive at verse 15, which I want to show, talk, look at closely. In verse 15, we see a different answer. This is con- Paul is continuing the emphasis upon good works that reflect godliness. And he writes this in verse 15. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Verse 15, admittedly, is one of the more difficult verses in the New Testament to interpret. But that, but that doesn't mean we should ignore it or say we don't really know what it means. We can know what it means. Uh, we can study it. But there are a lot of interpretive issues here. Almost every, many different words here can be interpreted in a different way. It's reflected in some of our translations that way. And this phrase, I'll just share with you one. The word preserved here, that woman will be preserved, is actually in the Greek literally the word for save. So you could almost translate it. It's just as correct to translate. The woman will be saved through the bearing of children. But like the, the translators in the New American Standard uh, wanted to show us, they wanted to avoid any idea of baptismal regeneration, that is salvation by works, or any kind of, uh, any kind of uh, works-based kind of faith. So they use the term preserved. But even that shows in some interpretation that's taking place. That preserved from what? And some people say, well, they're preserved from basically from, from childbirth, you know, that they don't, God's going to keep them so they don't, they make it through because childbirth is so hard. He's going to deliver you through that or uh, preserve you through the stigma of the curse of sin as, as some have uh, used or uh, preserve you from basically uh, having basically nothing to do in the church. Uh, so there's different ways that, that can be interpreted. But what Paul is definitely not saying 
is that he's definitely not saying that this is how women are to be, that they're saved by doing, uh, by having children, that they're saved spiritually. In many other places where Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, his other writings, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Titus 3, 5, or some other places, we all know clearly that salvation is not by any works. It's by grace through faith. No one is able to boast about their salvation by what they do. But what Paul is writing here then is about, is, I believe it should, the idea is spiritual salvation, but not so much in that she earns salvation, but she is working out her salvation. It's sort of, that is, that the good work that she is called to do is evidence of a genuine saving faith. That the faith that we're called to, the Christian life we're called to, we will work out our salvation. That we will demonstrate our salvation. We'll show evidence of our salvation through the things that we do. Philippians 2.12 is where we can find that term, work out your salvation. What's more, though, this whole idea of that good works are to be are in this idea of will save us and, and the idea of working out our salvation is found later in the same book in chapter 4 verse 16 turn two chapters over you'll find verse 16 paul's writing to timothy and he says this to timothy pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching and make sure you're faithful live godly make sure you're faithful to teach that which is true persevere in these things keep doing them for as often as you do this you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Again, this literally is, you could translate, you will save both for yourself and for those who hear you. Paul is not teaching salvation by works here. If you, you would have to ignore all his teaching elsewhere. Rather, Paul is teaching that as Timothy conducts himself in godliness and remains faithful to the teaching of the gospel that that will be evidence. It'll be fruit. He's working out the, the genuine saving faith that he has. And so it would prove to himself and to others. It gives him assurance of his salvation. But as others watch him, as others hear the gospel, they will find assurance of salvation too as they imitate him. So taking that same idea in 4.16 back to 2.15, when Paul thinks then of the one good work that woman is uniquely created by God to do. It is the work of bearing and raising children. It is the work of being a mother. In motherhood, a godly woman works out her salvation in Christ. It's not just being a mother, but it's being a mother that is tested by God and is called to, is challenged to continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. She displays godliness in her role as a mother. Godliness for a mom, for many women, is to be reflected in their role as those who bear and raise up children. Now, of course, I, I want to add, I know that here we have a lot of single ladies and single women. And Paul is not saying that every woman is going to work out her salvation in this way. In 1 Corinthians 7, for instance, he advocates for the good of singleness, that singleness can be a gift and that would you can serve God even more than if you were married or would have children. However, in general, for the majority of women throughout history, human history, the bearing and raising of children has been their principal sphere where their godliness is refined and reflected. If you don't believe that, ask a mother. She'll say, oh, yeah. Can I get an amen to that, moms? 
Man, your whole life has changed when you become a mom, isn't it? <laughs> it's, whole, it's changed when you become a dad, too. This is, but it's even more changed when you're a mom. And it begins early. The testing and the, the sanctification begins early. Even before you're a mom, through these years trying to conceive, for some of you, for many of us here, for many of you here, it was those years of those moments of loss through miscarriage. The testing in that is, is, is great. And then it, it begins when you conceive, you begin to change and be transformed. Your body changes. Undergoes, your body undergoes significant change. But I just read an article recently that your brain also undergoes significant change when you become pregnant. They did some study about moms who, who basically gave birth to a child, and basically their, their whole brain is rewired. It's like their gray matter, which is basically the matter you, in your brain you don't use, it decreases. Is that more you know, synapses in your brain are fired. That's why you're able to do more stuff, you know, because the, you have a more, a more refined working brain. I'll talk about brain a little more in the two weeks or so, but it's fascinating stuff. Your change in your body and your brain and then during those nine months, you, you endure great pain and discomfort. You, you, you complete. Uh, after they're born, you forget what eight hours of sleep is like. Uh, you'll never know it again. You will give of yourself to your child in the countless, numerous ways. You will worry for them. You will struggle to teach them right and wrong. You will face the frustrations of a messy house, piles of laundry, food all over the place, and places you never knew food could get into. And that's just the first four years, right? <laughs> There's more. Uh, that's just what, what I've observed. But motherhood, motherhood is God's means of sanctifying moms. It's, a tri- it's, a, it's, a, it's his means of testing and refining you and making you more like the daughter of God that he wants you to be. Motherhood presents trials that test a woman's Faith and walk with God on a daily basis. And when you observe the daily ins and outs of a Christian mother closely, you will see a woman of constant faith, love, and sanctity, and yes, self-restraint. An example of Jesus Christ to her family and to any who come to know her life. They do it gladly because they love their children. Yes, they love their husband but they do it most of all because they love their God. And if you have the blessing of observing one up close as I did this sabbatical, may, you, may we all have the wisdom to recognize her example of godliness that we ought to follow. And then may we all praise God in that in his perfect wisdom, he gave us motherhood. like to end with just a, a video that came across. It kind of one of those, uh, you know, heart-wrenching videos, you know, so prepare yourself. But it's, it's, it has a lot of elements of what we talked about today, a little on the human focus side, but I still think it's a great video that kind of summarizes the story of a mom. And so I want to just kind of end with this, and we'll and then end in prayer. Let's take a look at this video.
Well, happy Mother's Day to you moms out there. We uh, love you and appreciate you. Thank you for being a part of this body and this church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise because as we think about motherhood and the lessons we learn from them, we cannot help but think of you. You are our creator. You are our maker. You made every mom and you instituted motherhood for mankind. Thank you, Father, for the lessons we learn from them. Thank you for the truths we learn from our moms. Thank you for the love that we see exemplified from our moms. And we thank you, Lord, for the godliness, especially from our Christian moms, that they demonstrate to us day after day. Thank you, Lord, for how you use them to shape and mold each and every life here. And, Father, we pray that you would encourage the moms in our midst, encourage them, uh, uh, the, not only the current moms, but the moms-to-be. May they all realize that in, all the, in this life that among the many things that they may strive for, may they strive to be the kind of moms that you call them to be. Father, we give you thanks, ultimately, for your great love for us reflected in moms. Thank you for your love in sending us your son, Jesus Christ. Father, for it is because of Christ that our moms can be the kind of women that reflect and teach us the truths that you wish us to learn. Thank you, Father, and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.